Taking a little time here to establish yourself in present moment awareness. Finding that place where there's only the minimum necessary amount of intention or deliberate effort to remain present. And otherwise, there's a growing falling away of effort and also a growing receiving, allowing of the pop, 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 pop of little experiential bubbles to arise and pass away in the open space of awareness. Helping yourself increasingly rest here, feeling rested, resting, the body relaxing, sitting in a way that's both comfortable and alert. Being aware of any kind of resisting of experience, any contraction or bracing against it, any aversion to it, and seeing if you can release that through recognizing it.
you can know that you're fine right now in a safe setting. You can let go of any resisting to experience or any condition. And instead of any resisting, opening wider and wider, receiving the full streaming of experience, Also being aware of any grasping, any chasing after any particular goal. Any reaching for what might be pleasant and letting that go as well. No need for any of that either. opening to a sense of well-being and contentment. That's already true. So there's no need to grasp after anything. Resting openly as a body breathing.
resting in this moment of now, be aware of the transience of this moment of now. The ways in which the contents of awareness are continually changing. Allowing and opening to and all rightness with the vanishingness of experiencing. Conceptualizing about this is okay. And as much as you can, rest in some felt sense of the razor's uh, thin slice of time that is now. With sights and sounds, thoughts, feelings, hopes, and sorrows flashing into awareness momentarily and then falling away radically impermanent. Recognizing the simple truth of this and helping yourself hang out increasingly simply in this razor thin slice of time that is now. With beginnings arising forth and instantly turning into endings, breath after breath.
Noticing that it's impossible to hold on to any experience. And exploring what it's like not even to try. Even the sensations of a single breath continually ending and continually becoming something new. So that was a little exploration, and if we can, let's pick out the two themes that were present. Um, as the Buddha says here, impermanent are all compounded things. Now, he's referring primarily to our own phenomenology, our own experience. So when he talks about things, he isn't so much talking about it uh, out there in terms of material reality, which he acknowledged the existence of, but as Richard Gombrich, the scholar from um, 
Oxford who wrote this wonderful book called What the Buddha Thought, uh, which I recommend to you if you like, uh, is he said the Buddha had no interest in things per se. He was radically interested. He was radically interested in our experience of things, because that's the world in which we live, the virtual world, if you will, the constructed world. So in that context then, certainly in our experience, it's clearly true that uh, any experience is impermanent. And he says, when one perceives this with true insight, one becomes detached from suffering. And there is a progressive path of purification in which this recognition of the utter transience of experience becomes more and more where one comes from. So we have, in effect, then, two truths. And I should say, first of all, that uh, one truth, a separate, a third truth, is that if you want these slides, I'll happily email them to you on a much more mundane plane, trust me. Because there's all this material and you could think, oh my God, I've got to get every note written down. Uh, nah, it's really okay. I'll, I'll send it to you. I just need your email address, which I'll never share with anybody else ever, ever, ever. And unless you say, by the way, and they'll set out some forms for you to fill in if you want. Unless you say just slides, I'll automatically subscribe you to this little practice newsletter that goes out weekly called Just One Thing. Over 100,000 people get it now, which is pretty amazing. Uh, and uh, you can always unsubscribe from that newsletter, too, anytime you want. I mean, I really take privacy rights and autonomy really seriously, so as, at least as best I can. So anyway, so if you want the slides, just give me your email address, please. Print neatly uh, on the form outside, and I'll send you a PDF of the slides. Okay, so on a loftier plane, first, the truth of utility. And um, in other words, if you think about it, which you probably had some sense of in that little practice right there that was about 15 minutes long. Experience, sights, sounds, tastes, touches, and smells, as well as mind objects, as it's called in Buddhist psychology, thoughts, feelings, hopes, dreams, desires, sorrows, etc., are experienced. Are the phenomenology, if you will, of life is fundamentally impermanent, compounded, dependently arising, and insubstantial. Therefore, you can't hold on to it. Therefore, no experience, no matter how momentarily pleasant, can be a reliable, lasting basis of true happiness. This is a crux teaching in Buddhism. Now, as the Buddha said himself, see for yourself. See what's really true about this. But I think if we look directly at our experience in a way that's not metaphysical at all, there's no woo-woo factor here. Just go right into your own experience. You realize, well, ho, it's endlessly transient. I can't hold on to it, right? Therefore, trying to hold on to it is no basis for reliable happiness. As soon as I try to turn uh, fluid experiences into something kind of static, essentialized in the term from psychology, reified, turned into a thing. So trying to hold on to this pleasure, this nice sensation of relaxing while I breathe, this good moment with my friend, this peak experience in meditation or sexually, whatever. As soon as I try to hold on to it, I actually lose the, the pleasure of it. I get contracted around it, right? And it becomes, uh, you know, unpleasant. Bottom line, trying to hold on to our transient experiences as the basis uh, of reliable, lasting happiness is both doomed, it doesn't work, it's incapable of working, and it's frustrating. 
In other words, it creates suffering to do this kind of clinging or craving uh, in reference to or in relationship to our flow of experience. This is basically the fundamental teaching of the first and second noble truths. That uh, craving, the second noble truth, is grasping after um, uh, our experiences in various ways, resisting what's unpleasant, grasping after what's pleasant, clinging to what's heartfelt, that this process, in a single overarching word, craving, this grasping after transient experiences, creates suffering, the first noble truth. Okay. The good news is that even as every experience passes away, it's endlessly renewed. There's a fullness. In other words, this is the truth of fullness. Okay. Now, the brain evolved. This is a summary of a lot of stuff right here. The brain evolved to crave and suffer, in a way, to pass on its genes. And as the brain evolved, in its reptile, mammal, and primate human stages of evolution, so did its capacities to meet our three fundamental needs for safety, satisfaction, and connection. Any animal has those needs. Obviously, the ways in which little tiny millimeter-long worms, uh, the ways in which they use the oxytocin molecule, neurotransmitter, and hormone to guide their sexual behavior is very different from those flows of oxytocin that are involved as you know, high school students prep for their prom. All right? Those are very different kinds of experiences. That said, they're in both. Um, they have to do with an animal's needs for connection. Well, the brain today uses the whole brain to manage these fundamental needs for safety, satisfaction, and connection through some overarching systems that avoid harms, approach rewards, and attach to others. As soon as we experience something unpleasant, the avoiding harms system activates. As soon as we experience something pleasant, the approaching rewards system activates. And as soon as we uh, experience anything heartfelt, the attaching to others system activates. And each one of these systems can use the other systems as a means to its end. For example, uh, the avoiding harm system uh, to feel safer and to deal with some threat might approach the reward of getting a deadbolt, another lock on the front door, and also might attach to others by sharing you know, anxieties with a dear friend. Okay? So the question uh, becomes, how do we use the reality, the natural truth of our innate biology in a way that uh, reflects the truth of fullness rather than the truth of utility. And the problem is, uh, even when we're actually objectively safe and we're also fundamentally satisfied, there's enough food to eat, there's enough air to breathe, uh, we have enough goodies altogether in life, and also when we're fundamentally uh, attached to others. We're connected, uh, we're liked, we're loved. It'd be nice to have more, but there's, there's enough there. Even when that's true, Mother Nature doesn't want us to recognize this fact. She's continually whispering in our ear, be a little afraid, you know, stay thirsty, my friends. Like that Dosek he's had, you know, the most interesting man in the world. It's interesting that the root of the word etymologically for craving in Buddhism, tanha, is a Pali word for craving. The root of the word tanha is thirst, which is a deficit state you know, a disturbance state. 
right? And then we have, of course, um, you know, the nagging voice of Mother Nature in our mind. They liked you yesterday, but they, they liked you today, you know? And are they still your friends, right? So that's a kind of delusional, if you will, subtle delusional craving. I call it auto-craving, you know? There's no basis for it, really, objectively. So the opportunity in terms of the truth of fullness is to recognize the ways in which we're actually fundamentally all right right now in terms of our safety needs. We're actually protected. We're not about to be eaten by a saber-toothed tiger. You know, it, there might, we may not be all right in the past. We may not be all right in the future in the fundamental sense. We're not trying to look at the world through rose-colored glasses. We're seeing, we're trying to rest in truth. In the Buddhist frame, the fundamental source of suffering and harm is ignorance delusion, not seeing what's really true, okay? We're trying to take refuge in the truth, which is that in most moments, we're actually fundamentally safe and all right right now in terms of our basic needs, okay? We're also trying to recognize that there's enough, there's a fullness, right? There's a basis for feeling satisfied and that we're connected to others. You know, we we do have friends. There are people who wish us well. Uh, That's actually really true. As we recognize this truth again and again, as we push through Mother Nature's well-intended lies, whispering in our ear like Wormtongue, who wasn't so well-intended in the Lord of the Rings you know, books and obviously movies. Um, as we push through those well-intended lies and repeatedly internalize the felt sense that we're actually fundamentally safe, we're fundamentally satisfied and fundamentally loved and loving, as we do that, uh, the truth of fullness starts crowding out um, the craving that gets organized around futility. And increasingly we relate to the phenomenology of our own experience, staying in the present, continually feeling buoyed by the fullness of the arising, while simultaneously letting go of this moment of experience uh, while, because we have clear seeing into the truth of futility. And we recognize, based on the truth of futility, that it doesn't work to uh, cling to uh, any single experience as some kind of strategy for lasting happiness. Okay, That's a chunk of material. All right, so what do you think about this? And then we'll take a little break. So any comments or questions so far? And I think in the interest of time, maybe we'll run a microphone. Do we have a, yay, great. We have a microphone runner, making sure the mic's on. If you're willing, it's a lot easier for other people. We can turn off the recording at this point. Okay, great. And by the way, um, we'll be posting, Spirit Rock posts uh, 